2: I can't help but always think of that hymn. I just got an Audi car and I was taking my pastor for a ride up it on the road from, you know, from Ramota down to Poway, you know, the the Poway Road. And I was driving really fast and my pastor sang that song. Lord, I'm coming home. (laughs) But um, anyway, uh, been in Hawaii this last week. And uh that was nice A few days and then uh you know you get there in Hawaii and everybody starts with the aloha and the mahalo and I'm going, oh what, you know, okay, I gotta get into this, you know, I gotta make start saying aloha and mahalo and all that. And so I, I found this person, he looked pretty Hawaiian. So, you know, I went up to him, I said, now look, I said I wanna say things right here. So is it uh is it Hawaii or Hawaii? And so he says, "Well, it's Hawaii." And I said, "Well, thank you. He says, you're welcome." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, anyway, on to more important things now. <laughs> Let's pray, Father, uh, we look to you, look on us now, Lord. Look on us in our great need tonight. We need the word, your word, Lord. We need your word to guide us to, encourage us to, Lord, um, correct us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now if you turn in your Bible to the passage, which is going to be our verse for tonight, which is Genesis chapter 35, verse 1. We've been covering the life of, of Jacob, going a little bit at it backwards, considering that our first message was on his death, in the deathbed. Now we're kind of going backwards, but anyway, uh, so Genesis 35 is where we are Tonight and Genesis thirty five one. This verse is, is is our key verse here. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau, thy brother. Now last week you remember we saw how Jacob was so afraid when we when he in Genesis thirty two as he approached. Esau, because Esau had vowed to murder him, and every step that Jacob took toward Esau was a step that brought him closer and closer to a paralyzing fear. And then finally, when he when he got to Genesis thirty-two, there was that great night of the struggle that we looked at last, with that mysterious wrestler who was God in man. That was Jehovah Jesus and that was a night of struggle. Actually, it was two struggles. There was a struggle that night. God was struggling with Jacob, trying to break his stubborn pride, his arrogance, his rebellion against God, where Jacob just wanted to have a life of doing what he wanted to do. That was God struggling with Jacob. But there was another struggle going on, and that was Jacob struggling with God, where he was trying to get God just to release him from this corner that God had put him in and trying to get God just to leave him alone so that he could just continue his life of self-will. And then we saw that beyond this history of this one night of struggle for Jacob to see just how monumental this Genesis 32 is in the Bible as we saw this great change that happened in the history of Jacob. And we went as we went deeper into that history, we saw this isn't just a history of Jacob. But this is a history of ourselves. This is a history of man in general. We saw in this chapter how man goes away from God and how God brings man back to God. And seeing this, we understood why the Bible, therefore, is so full of references to Jacob because Jacob represents man. And we saw in this chapter when we looked at Jacob representing man, that Jacob was crooked and Jacob was broken by God and Jacob was straightened by God and Jacob was then crowned by God. So Jacob as a man who God straightens, that's what we saw last time. And we saw these three glorious new names that just emerged. Actually, we only talked about one of them, but there were two other names that emerge out of chapter 30 32 Genesis 32 you know what well, you remember the first new name that emerged out of there what was it Israel right Israel Israel prince with God but it wasn't just Jacob that came out of that chapter with a new name chapter Genesis 32 it was God who came out of Genesis 32 with a new name also from this point on God has the name of the God of Jacob And that name is used for God 25 times in the Bible. That's a great name for God because it teaches us that when we're not walking with God, when we are behaving as Jacob, the crooked one, that then it's the God of Jacob who loves us and chastens us, and he's the one who corners us, breaks us, and straightens us out to that we'll start behaving like Israel, a man that has power with God and with man. But also out of Genesis 32, there's another new name that emerges out of this chapter that's used 203 times in the Bible. That's the name for God. He is now the God of Israel, a great name, because it teaches us that when we're walking with God and we're behaving like Israel, the straightened one, then God helps us through life as the God of Israel. So today we want to follow Jacob as he emerges out of Genesis 32 as Israel because we're going to learn some important things, some important lessons for life in what happens to Jacob, who's now Israel, as he comes out. So Jacob now, he's got a new brokenness. Everything's new in, in, in chapter 32. He's got a new brokenness of his stubborn will. He's got a new limp. (laughs) <laughs> he got his thighs and put out a joint. He's got a new power with God. He's got a new power with men. He's got a new position with God as a prince. And he's got a new name, Israel. So in short, Jacob, as he comes out of Genesis 32, is a new man. He's a new man. And the first person that this new Jacob meets is the person he most fears, Esau. His brother Esau. This is Genesis 33 1. Genesis 33 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came. And to Jacob's surprise, the new Jacob finds a new love and affection in Esau. And that's in verse 4. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. With that kiss, that kiss from Esau and the that warm embrace, and then the feeling of on Jacob's neck of Esau's warm tears running down his neck, Jacob has learned. Proverbs 16:7, Proverbs 16:7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Not only at peace with him, but to kiss him and to cry and to embrace. So Jacob knows that it's God that has changed Esau from being angry with Jacob to being so happy to see Jacob. And Jacob sees that Esau is just like God who was angry with him and then has become happy with him. And that change that Jacob sees in Esau's face, when when Jacob looks into Esau's face, he says, he says to, he says, it's like, it's like I'm looking in the face of God. Because I see the same change in God's face in your face. Last night while I was wrestling with God, and then He and then then He was happy with me, and He tells He saw that. You see that in Genesis thirty three ten. Genesis thirty three ten, verse ten. Jacob said, and Jacob said, and then He said, I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and Thou was pleased with me. I'm not sure that that Esau knew what he was talking about when he said that, but Jacob knew. Now, when Jacob came to that night in Genesis 32, he was on his way to go where God told him to go. You find that, we find that in Genesis 31.3. Genesis 31.3, where it says, the Lord said unto Jacob, return unto thy fathers, into the land of thy fathers, and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. So way back at Uncle Laban's house, God told Jacob, go home to your people. Return to Isaac, return to Esau, and that's where Jacob was going when he met Esau. And there was one important detail that we saw a few weeks ago that Jacob had neglected when Jacob said, over 30 years ago, at that place where he laid down on, and used the stones for a pillow and there was a ladder, in Genesis 28, 18, Genesis 28:18. Jacob said something there. In Genesis 20, 18, he said, Jacob rose up early in the morning, took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. But it was called Lucid the First. Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I'll go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God and this stone, he said, this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. So Jacob had taken the stones that he had used for a pillow and he set those stones into a pillar and he made this vow that if God was going to keep his end of the bargain, which was going to protect him, provide for him, give him peace, bring him back in peace, then he would make those stones the house of God. And those stones have been sitting there for over 30 years, just as, just as Jacob put them up, and those stones are waiting to become the house of God. So when God called Jacob to go to Bethel, God was reminding Jacob, you remember those stones you set up that are going to be the house of God? I'm waiting. And so Esau, when, he met, when they met together, when Jacob and Esau met, Esau had offered to leave some men behind with Jacob to help him come home to help him get back home. But Jacob refused those men. And on the way, Jacob came to a place called Sukkot. Sukkot means booths, like shades from the sun. Sukkot. And Jacob did something very strange in Sukkot in verse 17, Genesis 33, verse 17. Genesis 33, 17. Jacob journeyed to Sukkot and built him an house and made booths, that's Sukkot, booths, for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkot. So it looks like Jacob's cattle needed some shelter from the sun. That's understandable. So Jacob makes these shades called Sukkot for the cattle. But then it's really strange in verse 17 when it says, Jacob built him a house in Sukkot. He built a house in Sukkot. That place, that place is called Sukkot because it was some kind of deserted place and Jacob hadn't reached home yet. And we can understand why he wants to make some, some shades for his cattle to rest. Why did he build a house? Why did he build a house? Probably it was some beautiful place. I don't know, grazing for his cattle. Jacob looks around and says, oh, not bad, not bad. And so he builds, he settles down and he builds a house. That was not where God had told him to go. God told him, you go back to your people, you go back to Isaac, you go back to Esau. But Jacob has made a bad decision here because this is the start of Jacob's disobedience. And God had told Jacob that he was to be no longer Jacob. That's finished. That person that rebels against God is no more. I don't want to call you, God was saying to Jacob. I don't want to call you Jacob anymore. Don't make me call you Jacob. I want to call you Israel. I want you to be the Israel that obeys God. But what we see Jacob doing here in building this house was not what God wanted him to do. He had moved in the direction of home, but he stopped short of home. That was incomplete obedience and incomplete Obedience is disobedience, and that's the way sin starts in our lives, with incomplete obedience. Like Jacob, we start well, but we don't go on, and we stop, and that's disobedience. And so Jacob does something very strange again. It says here in in verse 18, Genesis 33, 18, 33, 18, verse 18, it says, Jacob came to Shalom, a city a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came to Padanaram and pitched his tent before the city. And he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamar, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money, and he erected there an altar and called it El Elohe Yisrael. Now, Jacob had just built his house over there in Sukkot, and now he's moving to another place shalom and which is in, which is a city which is a city in shechem and he pitches a tent there what's he doing why is jacob moving from his house to now to pitching his tent there because jacob is restless and jacob has no peace and jacob's not able to enjoy the house that he built that he just built, he's just moved out into the the countryside and now he wants to move to the city and he buys land there. Why is Jacob so restless? Why does he have no peace? Because he's not obeying God. Jacob is not obeying God. Jacob cannot rest and he cannot be at peace because Jacob's not at peace with God. And Jacob knows that God has told him to move on from those places, keep on going, go back home. But since Jacob is not doing that, Jacob is on the edge and he's edgy and he's agitated and he's restless and he's not happy with what he had, which are the symptoms of not obeying God, like the like it says in Isaiah 57:20. Isaiah 57:20 says, "The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt." So this restlessness, this agitation of spirit that we see in Jacob That's a picture of what happens to us when we don't obey God. We become jumpy. We become easily startled. We we no longer content and, and as the agitation of the soul stirs up inside of us. But Jacob did not want to be known as a heathen who didn't know God. Even though Jacob was not obeying God, Jacob didn't want to be known as an unbeliever. So even though he was not where God wanted him to be, we see Jacob appearing to be a follower of God in the end of verse 20, verse 20, where he says, where it says, and he erected there an altar and called it El Elohe Yisrael. So God called Jacob to go back home, keep his vow to God, make those stones the house of God, and Jacob didn't go home, and Jacob settled down in Shechem in a state of disobedience to God. And even though Jacob was not obeying God, and, God was, and, and, he, and, and, and he, he was not listening to God, and he was not in the will of God, he didn't want to appear as though he wasn't obeying God. Oh, no. So Jacob sets up an altar, and we can imagine that Jacob maybe even frequented that altar, and he set it set up for God, and we maybe he's sacrificing on that altar, and he set it up for God, and if people looked at Jacob and his altar, they would have thought, well, there's a follower of God. Jacob's following God. Look at that, he's got the altar. And from Jacob and his altar, no one would have suspected that Jacob was not obeying God at all. No one would have suspected that Jacob was in disobedience to God because of his altar, and we can imagine his regular attendance and so forth. And if you ask Jacob, he said, Jacob, Are you a follower of God? He would say, of course I am. Look at my altar. I go there regularly to my altar. That's a picture of a Christian who's not obeying God, yet he goes to church regularly, sings the hymns with enthusiasm. He's not doing what God wants him to do. He's a Christian living in Shechem with an altar. And so what did Jacob have in mind with this altar? We can learn what Jacob had in mind by the name he gives to it, El Elohe Yisrael, which means God, El, Elohe, the God of Israel, Israel. God, the God of Israel. Now with that name, Jacob is, is really speaking here. Because with that name, he's saying, Jacob is saying, I'm trusting God to be the my God, the God of Israel. So God of Jacob, God of Israel. He knew, Jacob knew that that, that he was living in constant danger around people who didn't fear God. Jacob also was afraid because he knew he was out of the will of God. So what Jacob wanted, what did he want with this new altar, this new name, God, the God of Israel? Jacob wanted God to protect him, to protect him. Even though he's outside the will of God, he wanted God to protect him. I mean, if you could choose the best bodyguard for your personal protection, wouldn't you choose God right? He chose God. I mean, that's what Jacob wanted. I mean, Jacob wanted God to be his personal bodyguard, his personal El Elohe Yisrael. And that's what a Christian wants who's out of the will of God and he's not following God. He's afraid because he knows he lives in a world that's hostile to God, and he knows that there's a powerful devil that hates and wants to destroy him. And he's afraid because he knows he's not obeying God, he's not following God, all he wants is just for God to be God El, hey me. <laughs> you know, God, the God of me. And the Christian who's not obeying God, who's not following God, is not interested in, in, in following God, but he sure wants God to be his personal bodyguard, and that's what Jacob wants here. But that's a dangerous road to go down, a really dangerous road to go down. And this is a dangerous course for Jacob to follow. It's this life of disobedience to God. It's sure to result in a disaster, which is what happened. But Jacob didn't think he was heading for a disaster. Jacob has his altar. He's got his place to live in there. He's got a new location in Shechem. He owns the land. He's put together this fail-safe life of, of a religious disobedience to God. And too many Christians with the church that, and they go to the Bible studies and their life in the, but they're living a life that's in the world. They're living just like the lost. And they're thinking that they put it all together. They have a fail safe life of religious disobedience to God. Now, Jacob, he sure could have saved himself a lot of hurt, a lot of heartaches. If only he would have obeyed God. But Jacob thought, Jacob didn't think that way. Jacob thought, I'm smarter than the average bear. I, I'm not, not me. So what happened? Okay, next chapter, chapter 34, verse one. Genesis 34, one. Dina, I mean, that's how you pronounce now. You can say Dinah if you want, but it is Dina. Dina, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land.
1: Santee, California, nine two zero seven one. Or email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor at Friendship org. Tom Cantor at Friendship org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051
0: What are you doing Sunday nights? This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.